Welcome to the Jackson Cloud. I'm Jamin. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And we're moving through the letters of the seven churches in Revelation. And today's church is Pergamum. Now, if you want to know kind of like general stuff going on with the letters, we talked about that in our first church to Ephesus letter. So go back to that one. But if you want to just dissect Pergamum with us, let's do that now. Okay. Three phases in these churches, right? Number one. Hello. Yep. Along Praising with, God. Along with glorifying Jesus in a, in a way in which he was revealed to John in chapter one. That's just one. a very efficient hello. Okay. Chat, uh, next part. The body. The, the review. The Yelp review, yep. And then finally. The uh, offering of Offering something. of blessing or punch in the face. <laughs> no, it's always it always ends with the offering of blessing if they do the right thing. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if this really, it always ends that way. Yeah, that's a good, we'll have to keep going and see. I, I can't think offhand if one doesn't have a very positive ending. But uh, let's go ahead and dissect those things. So to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword, which is... <laughs> The tongue. Yeah, the tongue of Jesus. We did a whole episode on that. You can check that out. But John does the call back to what Jesus looked like in the first chapter. And then here's the review. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Oof. Ouch. That's a rough start. That is a brutal opening. Uh, well, okay. So where Satan's throne is, what have we seen Satan already doing in the other letters? In the first one, I don't think he was mentioned, mm -mm. right? Um, but, but the second one, Satan was attacking the church. Yep, he was attacking the church through religious mm -hmm. people and attacking the church through uh, governmental authorities. So when we say you live somewhere where Satan's throne is, and we're thinking Satan, throne, like, what are we thinking of? What does that mean? And if you were to think in ancient context, what would be some of your first thoughts? I mean... Is this like a portal to hell? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I would it's think stuck of, in Pergamum, or <laughs> I would think of more. It deals with, you know, where thrones are in their day, mm -hmm. to where like the capital city or like, mm -hmm. yeah, where thrones are. Any possibilities you throw out? I was thinking it was more metaphorical, and mm -hmm. that the things they do are kind of similar to what Satan would have them do instead of what they should be doing. Hmm. Do you think that Pergamum knew what Satan's throne was? Or do they just have a general sense that, oh yeah, it feels like Satan's here. <laughs> I mean, it could be like the worst town in the area. So it'd be like considered... I mean... Which, again, if we lived at the time and knew the geography, like if it said... To the church in Las Vegas, right? Again, right. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. We would instantly have these implications of all different kinds of things come to our mind. Right, it would kind of be like a Las Vegas situation there. Mm -hmm. So when we think Pergamum and we think of the geography and what they have there, there's a few things that we could actually point out. Uh, it could be a reference to the Temple of Zeus, uh, which had a super imposing altar platform that is still there in ruins today. Like that's how imposing it was. Um, it could be that. I saw this, that in Hercules. So yeah, I remember. Yeah. Okay. It could be a conspicuous seat of pagan worship is what one commentator says. Uh, 
Could be the worship of Ascalopius. <laughs> what? Well, the reason he would say the possibility that it's Ascalopius, I don't, I don't know how you say that up, but um, the reason he'd say that is because its symbol is a serpent. So it could be like over there, he's thinking of, think of the false gods of your area and how there's real spiritual stuff going on where you guys are located. He could be trying to grab that serpent logo out for them to pay attention to. Or it could also be the prominence of emperor worship. Because again, we're going to see this continuing theme throughout Revelation between government and emperor. It's an unholy trinity between Satan, the emperor, and then the cult of worship for the emperor and everything above. It's easier for us to think when we think like back to Pharaoh. A lot of times we think, oh, Rome was more civilized. But think of Egypt, right? Like you have the gods and then Pharaoh who is supposed to also be a god. And then the the like cultic people underneath them who like do all this serving of worship towards Pharaoh and all that. And it's similar with Rome. But the emperor has this acts like a god and sees himself as a god and people worship him and all that so it could be emperor worship um but when we say satan's throne probably in their mind there's probably one of those or something else that just really stood out uh and thinking of the great altar of zeus that one's one that a lot of commentaries are like that's that's probably what it was uh nt wright also says the acropolis as a whole it had a cluster of sacred sites that uh, would have been abhorrent to John. Um, Pergamum would indeed have seemed like a stronghold of Satan. Perhaps the location of the very seat of powers as he deceived humanity to take out was due God and give it instead to sticks and stones and pretentious human rulers. So yeah, um, in their minds, they probably knew what that was. That would be my guess. Um, and we're going to see more commentary like that in some of the following letters that we haven't seen as much of yet. So... It actually gets quite interesting the way that John plays off geographical and historical things of these towns. Uh, but I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Uh, let's let's pause one more moment there. We just talked about altars and um, statues, idols, things like that. Uh, in our minds today, those are what? Pieces of rock generally is usually what people think of when they think of idols, right? Yeah. Like we think of people like worshiping these things and pretending they're gods, but in ancient times, it's not how idols worked. I thought you meant idols as in painting or like some of the more oh. modern version of the word idols. No. Um, in their time, like idols were crafted and then you tried to move a spiritual being inside of it as a location for it. It's not that they lived there, but like they would, they could now kind of like transport there. Yeah, this was a site, a sacred site for them where they now like took up residence type thing. So, like the statue of Zeus and Hercules, which could be exactly what Satan's throne is. Yeah. So, when he's saying like you're where Satan's throne is, he's not even, I don't think uh, John's just trying to say like you got a big statue over there. Like, he's probably thinking from like a supernatural geographical perspective like you're dealing with a major demonic threat in your area uh, you are Christians living in the unsacred space of of the false gods located in Pergamum right especially if we're talking about Zeus because Zeus is almost like the 
He's what? He's basically the god of gods of Greek stuff, right? Yeah. So he's the yeah. head, the head god. The yeah. same way that Baal is treated in the Old Testament, and Satan then kind of gets treated as though Satan's Baal. For Revelation, we come across these spots where it feels like Zeus is uh, the Baal of the New Testament, and Satan gets attributed possibly to him. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. We don't know much about Antipas, but he is so uh, obviously made such a dent in people's thinking at the time that he gets his name listed here. We don't get a lot of names. We get a few, usually for bad stuff in some of these letters, but in this particular case... Antipas is a, a faithful, faithful witness. Faithful witness, yeah. That word witness is, again, tell me if this sounds familiar in English. Martis. Nope. No? Martis? Martis. Martyr? Martyr sounds, yeah. Oh, yeah, but it's got the same feel to it. Like, part of the English martyr is based off the Greek martis. Why? Well, examples like this. Antipas was a faithful Martis, he was a faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Satan dwells here. He lives here. He was not just killed by accident. It was not just like, oh, poor Antipas, he died. That was just coincidence. No, like there's spiritual fights going on around us. In this particular case, it, it got a Christian killed. And uh, that makes you wonder, like, was that uh, super common yet? Because we don't have a bunch of other names all the time. Um, people are definitely being persecuted. But like we think of Stephen. He was the first witness, if you will. The first martis. And now we have Antipas added to that list as well. So must have been a big deal. Must have like really made um, some shockwaves. Uh, but I have a few things against you. So despite what they have good going on. A few things against you. You have some that are holding to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Remember anything about Balaam in the Bible? Nope, but this sounds like a three-star review right now. Maybe even a two and a half. Does Balaam have to do with Baal? Uh, it does have that feeling. Uh, I mean, word-wise. I would wonder if he was connected in some way. Um, but I don't know that language well enough. Balaam was, remember the story about the talking donkey in the Bible? <laughs> yes. Very vaguely, but I don't remember. I remember it. that there was a talking donkey. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Balaam was that guy. So Balaam was a, it's confusing when you read his story because He's not like a prophet, or he's not like a good prophet, but he is able to hear from God and speak it out nonetheless. <laughs> so so uh, a king hires him because they've all heard the story, Israel's moving into their land, and like they're afraid. Like Israel's huge, and they're a threat to be reckoned with, they're noticing. Like this God, Yahweh, is working through them and really... like. They're losing a lot. So a king kind of hires Balaam. I want you to come and basically curse all of Israel. So <laughs> uh, so Balaam comes to do his evil witchcraft type thing. And as Balaam gets there, uh, he's on his way when the angel of the Lord shows up and is like, 
no, you're not going to do that. And then the donkey shows up. Yeah, let's just go to that story because if you haven't read it in a while, which most people haven't, <laughs> it's always interesting. Oh, look at that. Balaam's name comes up more than I remember. Uh, yep, 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 yep. Yep, 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 yep. Almost there. Any moment now. Sorry to bore you all. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, how many times do you say his name? <laughs> Maybe we won't read it. <clears throat> Balaam's donkey and the right angels, there, right there. One. Yes, okay. <laughs> it was the last one. So he goes to curse Israel, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary, which... I, never mind, I'm not going to go down that track. <laughs> no, we really want to go down that track. <laughs> no, let's not go down that track. Make up your mind. Stop flipping a coin. Mm, okay, fine. All right, so adversary in Hebrew. Anybody uh -huh. know what the word is? Satan. Yeah, yeah. And the angel of the Lord takes his stand in the way of Balaam as his Satan. <laughs> I just want to point this out because in the Old Testament, the word Satan wasn't like a character necessarily. It meant to be adversarial to someone. Uh -huh. Okay. So it's interesting to note here that the angel of the Lord, he is not Satan at all. He's the opposite, right? This is Jesus pre-incarnate, as you will. We've done episodes on that. Um, but Jesus is being adversarial against Satan. And that might actually be helpful as we're thinking of Revelation because Satan, again, means adversary. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that all throughout Revelation, Christians are getting hurt because it's almost as though Satan is standing in the way of Christians as an adversary. Okay? I know that was a freebie and didn't connect to anything, but we did anyways. Balaam was riding his donkey and two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey and turned her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place. For there was no way either to turn right or left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. <laughs> and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you would have struck me these three times? <laughs> and Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? It is my habit to treat you this way. And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord <laughs> standing in his way with a sword in his hand. Uh, that might be interesting to point out again. Here you've got the angel of the Lord with the sword. You've got John who has Jesus in mind who's holding a sword in his mouth, right? Uh, well, and, and he's thinking of Balaam at one point. Well, and this is a sighting of the angel of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like Jesus was standing there with a sword in his hand. Yeah. Well, because again, he's the um, he's the captain of the heavenly host. Right, but yeah. it's just like I don't remember putting those two together in this passage beforehand. Yeah. 
Well, this is where it gets weird because um, Balaam is a very successful uh, guy at cursing people. <laughs> okay? The way that they talk about him is when he speaks his words, like they stick. So this guy is well-practiced at the occultic arts. Uh, it's no little deal. And when he runs into the angel of the Lord, uh, he's like, oh, uh, I see you now. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, uh, he then says, um, uh, I have sinned. I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And here's where it's interesting. The angel of the Lord says to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the words that I tell you. <laughs> so Balaam then goes with these kings to curse all of Israel. And he goes up to place his curse on Israel. And the king's like, here we go. This is it. And then and then he speaks what the Lord says. And, in, <laughs> and instead, instead, he blesses them. <laughs> Which freaks the kings out. What are you doing? That's the opposite of what we're trying to do. I took you to curse my enemies. Behold, you've done nothing but bless them. <laughs> so, and Balaam, even though he's this bad guy, is just like, I gotta do what Yahweh tells me to do. <laughs> and so they're like, uh, this, it keeps getting more and more interesting. It's like, all right, uh, uh, then let me take you to another place. And when you see just a fraction of them, then you'll curse them from there. So he takes them over there. He's like, all right, go ahead, curse them. And he goes up, and then he blesses them again. <laughs> Behold, I received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. Uh, so you see, like, this, like, continuation. And so they're like, okay, all right. <laughs> You've messed this up twice. You've done the opposite. Uh, and they, um, where do they go from there? Um, did I not tell you all the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So they go to another place and Balaam says, build for me seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And then he blesses them a third time, as you might gather at this point. And, uh, and there's a fourth time? Well, yeah, Balak gets really mad because this is not what he paid this guy to do. <laughs> um, he says, I called you to curse my enemies. Behold, you have blessed them three times. Behold, or therefore now flee to your own place, I said. I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. Balaam said, I did not tell your messengers whom you sent me. If Balak should give me a house. Okay, it just goes on here. But yeah, then he, he uh, goes up with, I don't know if it's a final blessing, I don't remember, but he goes on to do another thing. Okay, so that's all what John is, that's part of to. what John is referring to. Balaam's name is going to come up a few more times throughout the Bible, but this is uh, the main story where Balaam first shows up. So when John writes to the church in Pergamum and says, uh, I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So Israel gets blessed, but then uh, John says, well, Jesus says that one of the ways in which Balaam uh, still instructed this king to go about messing with Israel is to eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. 
You can actually see how those things work together, I think. First off, we know all throughout Israel's history, they constantly mess up following God and turning mm -hmm. to false gods, right? So eating food sacrificed to idols, that's like going to the temples and eating a feast with demons, essentially. Um, that's part of what you would do in temples is there'd be a place to eat with the, the false gods, if you will. But practicing sexual immorality, because it's right on the heels of eating food to uh, sacrifice to idols, how might you put those together? Any ideas? I mean, on one hands, one hands, on one hands, um, there were some cults, some temple cults that you could have sex at the temple and it was in a sense you were using that person as a... Uh, mediary? Yeah, mediary, surrogate, I can't think of the right word, in which you were participating in sex with the demon, if you will. So it's that's pretty messed up. Uh, but um, also intermarrying throughout all different kinds. Of, think Solomon, right? Solomon marries a bunch of women of all different kinds of... Uh, um, uh, religions. Religions, thank you. And then he ends up worshiping all their gods. This is the stumbling block that Balaam taught Balak. Look, like get them to follow the false gods. If they do that, they'll mess it all up, right? Look, get them to marry the people of your places. Because if you do that, they're going to leave God and worship the false gods. And we see that over and over again all throughout the Bible. It's, it's a very common theme. So uh, this is part of the problem that's going on at Pergamum is it seems that they too have been giving space to um, worship the false gods. And maybe you see them not taking good care of their marriages. You're going to see Paul talking about how Christians really need to be married to Christians for the sake of like things like this, you know, like this is how we follow God together and we'll uh, give ourselves over to other um, gods like they always have throughout history if we don't do that. So, Seems like they're being a little lazy with some of this stuff. Or maybe they're just practicing straight-up sexual immorality. Maybe they're partaking in the temples of the false gods. Maybe they're not trying to protect themselves at all from that and just trying to have the best of both worlds. So the Bible says you can't eat at the table with God and demons, right? And so it's called out here. Uh, so also, you have some who hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. You remember from our first church who the Nicolaitans are? Yeah. We don't they? know. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> you do remember. We don't know. But the church in Ephesus rebuked the Nicolaitans. Good job, Ephesus. Here it is with Pergamum. They do not. They've given into it. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. <laughs> now, Casey made a big deal in Ephesus where God was like, if you don't repent, I'll come take your lampstand. This one's a little more intense. Yeah, a little, little, little intense. bit. A little bit. Yeah, the sword of Jesus' mouth is what? His. I forgot the word. Uh, judge. Judgment. Thank judgment. you. Yeah. Yes, the judgment. Yeah, the words Jesus speaks, the word of the Lord, God's word that creates and takes away. Um, I will come against you in war with the sword of my mouth. Uh, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, then our, our third phase where he always closes out. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone 
with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. That one feels a little new <laughs> compared to the other ones, right? Uh, to conquer is to what? Have victory. Have victory, which in a Jesus way can even be... Victory over death. Which happens... Through, to be death. Yeah. Uh, which, did someone die at this church? Uh, yes. Antipas. An Antipas. So you've got these kind of thoughts in mind. To the one who conquers, to the one who's faithful to the end, to the one who puts up with even death itself, I will give some of the hidden manna. What do you think that is? Any ideas? Um... So much lingo in here. <laughs> no idea on that one. Uh, hidden manna um, that could be communion. Uh, okay. It could be communion yeah. with God. That could be the final uh, wedding feast in Revelation that's to come. Uh, Jesus is the bread of life. And mm -hmm. Jesus could be saying, I give you myself, right? Uh, manna was, I think, thought to be like angel's food. So it could be like a... You two will become spiritual beings, not angels, but you'll uh, be like the angels, if you will. I'll give you angel food, too, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm just thinking out loud here now. <laughs> um, but yeah, in some way, shape, or form, we're used to thinking of bread in, in relation to Jesus. And so we, yeah. we get that there. In fact, it was thought that when the Messiah returned, that the manna would return to. So that's part of what's going on with... Uh, I think that's maybe part of what's going on with um, 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 Jesus feeding the 5,000. Mm -hmm. They're like out in the wilderness, and then they all get bread, but it's not coming from the sky this time. It's coming from Jesus. Who is the one who was sending it from the sky last time, right? So uh, just as Israel's in the wilderness, and then bread starts coming to them, here's Jesus, and he's just, oh, I'm not going to sprinkle it, just come up here, you know? So... Uh, so here's Jesus, like, I'll give you some of the hidden manna, just like I have given that before, right here. Uh, and I will give him a white stone. Any thoughts yeah, there? Yeah, I've got no idea on this one. No idea. This is where, like, just a proving point that culture is so important to understand the Bible. Because, yeah, if we read this today, there's so many people who be like, the white stone. One day... There will be rocks, and you'll have to choose. <laughs> I don't know. Because, um, I mean, there was that old selection policy of putting, like, colored stones into a, a bag. Mm. And you had to, like, choose one. And whoever got the white one was chosen for death, I think. I have no or, idea what yeah, you're what talking you were referring about. To. Or was the one that was chosen, but usually it was in some form of, like, a death or a sacrificial way. I don't remember fully. Well, you, I mean, you're not uh, very... I mean, you're backwards, but I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was, uh, back in the day, sometimes jury verdicts... That's uh, what I'm probably thinking of. They would give a black stone if you were guilty. Oh, okay. And they would give a white stone if you were acquitted. So it could be, uh, working off that imagery, that they're all used to, like, when you get before the throne. Because ultimately, at the end of Revelation, we have the... Is your name in the book of life? Have you been acquitted? Or is your name not in the book of life? Have you got the black stone? Have you been uh, sentenced to death? Are you accused, right? Found guilty. Uh, at the same time, there was other cases. Um, it seemed like there were white stones that were used to get admission into public festivals. Um, they could be like that because that would make sense too. Like, welcome into heaven. This is your entry. Or 
it could just be like all of these images that they're familiar with, with white stones just working together. Uh, what would that be like in our context today? I give you the golden ticket. Hey, there you go. Yeah, okay. Golden ticket. Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about this. I give you the golden ticket. Only a few get to come see Wonka's world, and you're one, <laughs> right? Um, and a new name written on the stone. Now, would that be their name? Yeah. Because they conquered, they're getting the stone, their mm. golden ticket, and it has their name written on it. That's a good question. This is one that I wonder about. I think new name shows up again. Oh, here you go. Um, Revelation 3. So in the next chapter, uh, in the next chapter, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So Jesus says that he'll give a church his name, his new name. So it's possible that Jesus is saying, I'm giving you my name. You okay. get the white stone, my name's on it. I'm the one who made you not guilty, acquitted you. I'm the one who saved you. You're under my salvation as a jury, as a judge. Could be like that. Or, yeah, I wonder if we'll have new names in heaven. I don't know. Anyways, that's them. The Balaam route takes us into funny stories, but uh, ultimately sad stuff for Pergamum. I mean, this is a place where someone in their congregation died. And you would think like, wow, they're super passionate. But then we zoom out. It's like, oh, you're not all like Antipas. You know, like Antipas was a good example to you guys of what you need to be. And you got to you got to fix some stuff up. Yep. If not, Jesus will pour out his judgment. I will use the sword in my mouth. And Casey will keep making it seem like Jesus is going to beat people up by pounding <laughs> his fists every time I <laughs> refer to that. All right. Uh, any other final thoughts? Pergamum. Talk to us about it. On the Discord. And see if you can be the first one to like this video and beat me to it. Good luck. <laughs>